We're coming in hot with inspiring guests, witty banter, and colorful commentary for today's veterans and military community. This is the Tango Alpha Lima Podcast. They call me crazy because I'm facing all my giants. They try to scare me into thinking I can't fight it. They tell me I should never even think of trying. But that's just me. I'm going to live out in defiance. And welcome back to the Tango Alpha Lima Experience. We're here every week, as always, and I'm here in Los Angeles. And where are you? I'm in Washington, D.C. In the, hold on, the D-M-V. You did it. Spelling Which, is easy. Spelling well, is fun. Spelling a, is great a, for in Marines. In a place like California, D-M-V is a terrible thing. Like, do you go to the DMV in the DMV? I think you're just like, like it's like a lump sum kind of thing. Like you're just in the whole no, no. area. Do you, where do you get your driver's license? What is that place My, called? The oh, it's easy the DMV. <laughs> do you have? Do you call DMV, it that? DMV. I'll have to double check, but I'm pretty sure it's DMV. Driver, motor, vehicle. No, because in Michigan, it's called the Secretary of State for some reason. I don't That's understand that. I don't know if I've really paid attention to that. I'll have to see what the difference is between Maryland and Virginia. I hope you're a licensed driver. Okay. A licensed driver. Because I've seen you drive. I've seen you in a car. You we're going to... Gonna... <laughs> oh, well, well. Shots fired over here. Okay, <laughs> sir. All right. Enough about us. Somebody's turning 90, huh? Your topic, number one story. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Wait, hold on. Let me try to be clever again. Someone's turning 90, huh? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. So, all right. This article is about sharing your plans to celebrate SALs or Sons of American Legion's 90th anniversary. So, yay. So during the American Legion National Convention in Portland, Oregon, the week of September 12th and 15th of 1932, the Sons of the American Legion was authorized following three years of study by national committees. The idea of a junior American Legion organization had actually been select or suggested by the Department of Kansas in 1921. Although there was no official national program, by the late 1920s, American Legion posts around the country had started to create their own junior organizations. This included Legionnaires, Junior Legion, Sons of American Legionnaires, Sons of the American Legion, and Sons of World War Veterans. The American Legion created a committee at the 1930 National Convention to study the feasibility of a junior legion. And therefore, the organization was approved in 1932. Bruce P. Robinson Squadron 133 in Indianapolis is created as the first local Sons of the American Legion Squadron established in June 1933. So over the course of the next year, we will be sharing highlights of SAL's first 90 years, and we want to know what your detachments and squadrons are planning to do to recognize this 90th anniversary milestone. So share your stories on Legion Town. Legion share Town. your stories on Legion Town. Which is legiontown.org. Org. Org. Now, Org. of these, I'm going to get to something more poignant in a second, but these names. Oh, yes. So I can see the first one being very problematic. Legionnaires and their <laughs> legion 
airs. It's clever. It's a good play. Airs, on words. I wonder. Uh, I wonder if that's why they thought of it, calling Somebody. him, calling it Somebody like that. Did sound wonderful. Holly's going like she was there. Yes, of course. Of that's course. exactly why, because uh, she was there in a previous life <laughs> or two. It took her back quite a bit. Oh, uh, I just got the like twelve. It's a door. So. Oh, I don't boy. know. I don't know about your post, but at our post, uh, the Suns and the auxiliaries, well, but they're not ninety. Uh, so we'll talk about them when they're ninety. But the the Suns, they're what? Ninety. They're a hundred. They're hundred and one. So we talked about them last year, didn't we? Yeah. Okay. So the 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 Suns being ninety. I don't. At my post. They're very active. They, they host fundraisers. Um, they just really get involved. And, and I, I actually can't imagine the post without both of our uh, affiliate, well, actually one's a program and one's an affiliate organization. But for purposes of not getting into complex org charts, I will just say both of our affiliate organizations, I can't imagine um, the post without them. Are, are they pretty active at your post do you have sons i do auxiliary i do have both and riders i don't have a riders chapter okay there is a within our within our uh, district itself there are a few other posts that are a lot more like high populace for the riders so people mm -hmm. just kind of tend instead of reinventing the wheel for each individual we just kind right. of like there's like a few that people just kind of no, I get it. Towards, uh, so. We're the only we're the only post in my district for the writers, so anybody in the district can join. But uh, I mean, I don't want to encourage singing, so please no happy birthday. But I hope that I hope that all of the SAL detachment not de detachment is a uh, is department level. So I hope all well the detachments too. You can have cake, but I was specifically hoping for the squadrons to have little cakes but don't use don't use your emblem because it's a violation you have to eat it quickly before cb finds out he'll get you, <laughs> he'll get you. <laughs> well maybe if you offered him a piece of cake and it's delicious he won't care so <laughs> likely so anything else on this i mean no, it's a good good long time that they're and do you I mean, I, I'm not an ND, so I've never been to uh, 133. I've, oh, they don't exist? The home, the origin, the originating post of this, of the originating squadron no longer exists, ladies and gentlemen. Who was in second place? Somebody out there let us know. I'm sure it'll be Jeff Stouffer. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> that will tell us the longest, the longest existing uh, SAL squadron, and we will have to uh, maybe maybe get a quote from them or something on this 90th anniversary. That'd be awesome. We've never had a phone in. That would be fun. Long-time listener, first-time caller. We've never heard Long that. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Oh <laughs> I love it. Let's do it. Oh, so many things to look forward to. <laughs> the simple things. All right. We're going uh, the frivolity needs to make way for uh, actual advocacy and some uh, some sh some more serious topics. Um, our guest, 
I was gonna do our guest intro today, but Holly's typing in it as we speak. Um, apparently I'm supposed to remind you that we're, uh, this is part of the Be The One series where we're doing suicide um, prevention awareness. And remember always alphas, you're the alphas by the way, lead. Uh, you can be the one for two or three people because you're alphas. So talk to people, reach out, shake their hand, just say hi. Sometimes uh, the biggest complaint is people don't feel seen. They feel like nobody notices them. Like not under, not even a deep understanding. They feel like nobody actually physically sees them or notices they exist. So let that never happen under your watch, Alphas, and you will be the one many times over. But today we have uh, chronic, traumatic. Ah, uh, ah, uh, how? Can you can you unmute and say it for me, Holly? Come on, you can do it. Encephalopathy. Yep, chronic traumatic that is a degenerative brain disease found in athletes, military veterans, and others uh, with a history of re repetitive brain trauma. Scientists who research the causes and effects of, nope, just gonna say CTE, have drawn links between CTE and suicide. One of the researchers is Chris Nowinski, PhD. He is the co-founder and CEO of the Concussion Legacy Foundation, a nonprofit organization leading the fight against concussions and CTE and dedicated to improving the lives of those impacted. If you see a little grin on Ashley's face, it's also because he's a wrestling star with WWE. And she found out that he's in the video game. So there you go. We'll talk. We'll also talk with retired U.S. Navy Commander Daryl Adamson about his experience as a suicide loss survivor and the connection between CTE and suicide for his son Cameron, a Marine, Urah, who died by suicide in 2021 at age 22. We're going to be right back with uh, some very insightful conversation about these topics right after the break. Raising money for your American Legion programs has never been so easy. Terry Lynn Fundraising offers customized fundraising programs, dedicated support, discounts and incentives, and premium products for your members to sell. We're talking delicious nuts, confections, and snack mixes that will keep your supporters coming back for more. You can see how simple and effective Terry Lynn can be to use for your next fundraiser when you request a free tasting sample at terrylynn.com al. Check it out and get ready to have the most successful fundraiser yet. Visit terrylynn.com slash AL. If you were stationed at Camp Lejeune between 1953 and 1987, you and your family may be victims of toxic water poisoning. Cancers, birth defects, deadly illnesses have all been linked to the contaminated water. With passage of the PACT Act, the government is ready to be held accountable. You could be awarded financial compensation for your suffering, but you must act now. Get your free case review. Call True Law at 833-686-4242. That's 833-686-4242. Or visit justicecamplejeune.com slash T-A-L. All right. Well, welcome back to the Tango Alpha Lima experience. We have... Chris and Daryl here, who were just introduced before the break. Uh, Chris and Daryl, welcome to Tango Alpha Lima. How are you doing today? 
Great, thank you. Thank you for having me. Me too. We, we, we woke up Daryl in the middle of his night there. So uh, I complained about being up at 8 a.m. and feel really uh, shamed right now. So uh, thank you for uh, getting up in the middle of the night for us, uh, especially to talk about these uh, important topics. So uh, Ashley gets the privilege and the honor of asking the first question. So. Oh, he tipped his hat to me. Oh my goodness. All right. So we'll move forward. So Chris, my first question is for you. Um, if you could give us a brief history of the origins of the Concussion Legacy Foundation. Yeah, happy to. Um, the Concussion Legacy Foundation started out of my own personal experience uh, with concussions. So uh, I played a little football at Harvard University and then decided to join the WWE, uh, have a little fun. Uh, and it was fun until I got kicked in the head too many times. And this was back in 2003. I was on Monday Night Raw having a good time. And I learned very quickly that um, what I thought I knew about concussions wasn't the truth. And so uh, I ended up developing post-concussion syndrome, partially because I kept hiding and fighting through all the concussions I had and realized that um, when I started talking to doctors and started reading old studies that we actually uh, were doing it all wrong. We've known for 100 years that you should be resting concussions when they happen. They can have long-term consequences. They can change who you are. All those dings and bell ringers are actually real brain injuries. Uh, and so I set out to try to change the culture uh, on concussions so that uh, people didn't sort of throw away their brain health like I did just out of ignorance. And then, uh, yeah, I guess that, that's how we started. And, and what I learned early on, though, was that the culture wasn't ready. The NFL, we had to fight the NFL right out of the gate to take these things seriously. And it's, it's been a battle, but I think 15 years later, we've, we've had some success. Wow. Which is, uh, that's an interesting mix of experiences that you had um, being, being a fan of football. And I know Ashley grew up a fan of wrestling. Um, so, uh, fun facts, Chris, fun facts, fun. love to throw them around for me. So it's, and it, it's, it's, I guess it's good to know. And obviously we're fans of the military where, so all, all three things are, are really important here. And it's, I think it's deep, it's deeper than entertainment. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that's, I think that's just important to put out there at the beginning of this, um, that that football is great. I'll, I'll, I'll watch it Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Thursday. Thursday, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I, but I, I always have in the in the back of my mind, every time someone's a little slow to get up, or or something like that, that it's uh, that it could be a a bigger issue. Um, I my my question that was commentary that wasn't i have no question at the end of that uh my question is for for daryl i wonder if you can you can tell us uh cameron's story and and how it got you involved well cameron's story is kind of um you know a young man who um decided out of high school he wanted to go in the military and um he joined the Marine Corps and uh, when they took him on the journey, you know, with the Marine Corps and then before going in the military, you know, he, he was an avid wrestler and had several, several um, 
traumatic brain injuries while wrestling, you know, body slams and slammed into the mat and just complicated the process. But um, the, after he finished up the high school, he realized he didn't want to do, he didn't want to go to college. He decided he wanted to do something different. He wanted to get away from academics for a while. So it was the Marine Corps was his choice to go into and he went in there. And then um, he made several deployments with the Marine Corps, um, going to Africa, Iraq, Afghanistan, and different areas. And um, suffered several TBIs while he was in the military also. So his story was just, you know, he, he just, after he left the Marine Corps, you know, he was, before he passed, he was out for about four months, but he had gone through several episodes in the Marine Corps where he had um, suicidal intentions, you know, tried to take his life twice while he was actually in the Marine Corps. And then um, he'd gone through and gone through, through some challenges as, after he got out of the Marine Corps, um, which should have been big signals for everybody that, you know, um, you know he had a, a serious car wreck. And after doing some research and study, you know, he, it was a, probably an intentional car crash that he had where he rolled the car and was in the hospital for about 10 days after that. And then um, he just never did click after he got out of the Marine Corps. And things just didn't come together quickly for him. You know, when he got ready to separate from the Marine Corps, he had a couple of jobs lined up. Um, but because of COVID, they kind of fell through and it put him into an environment where life wasn't going the direction that he thought it was going to go when he got out of the Marine Corps. And it put him in a depression. He, um, he saw his friends moving on in life, getting married, buying a house, and all those things weren't just coming together for him, you know. And uh, on the night that he took his life, you know, he had a very bad day that day. And, it, you know, um, it's funny that the night of January 6th, when the insurrection started happening at the Capitol, he had received several phone calls from his buddies to say, hey, we want you to come to D.C., join us here, you know. And at that point, I do believe that tripped him to where he thought life wasn't ever going to get back to where it was going to be at. And he, you know, heavily into drinking that night. And um, that night just turned a downfall. And when 9 o'clock came the next morning where he was supposed to be at work, he didn't show up for work. You know, and um, when we went to look for him, when, when they went to look for him, you know, they had found him and it was too late, you know, but um, there were several triggers, um, trigger points that she, people should have caught on that were back in the state with him. They didn't catch it. You know, I, you know, I still father as I feel very, I failed father because um, I had talked to him on the phone several times, but, you know, at that time I was in Guam, 7,000 miles away from him. And, you know, intuition now that talking to him, I probably should have hopped on that plane and went back to the States and grabbed him and say, hey, come over here to Guam and be with us. But I didn't do that. You know, so uh, it's just, I think the things when I started pulling the onion back after he passed, um, you know, he had told everybody he was working with Wounded Warriors, um, getting help. Um, right away, I contacted Wounded Warriors. He didn't. He wasn't making any commitments to the Warriors. I went to the VA clinics when I was back in Pennsylvania. Uh, he he'd made some challenges to go to see the VA, and this is one of the things that really obsessed me about the VA. Um, he went to a VA clinic, and it's because he um, registered his DD two fourteen in a different county. They wouldn't take him in to the clinic there in Erie, and because he went into a clinic in Crawford County, and they said you're registered in Crawford County, I'm, excuse me, he went into Erie, just 
to get assistance. And they said, you registered your DD-214 in Crawford County and we can't help you. You need to go back and change it. And it was kind of upset him and he didn't get everything he wanted to. He thought the VA kind of failed him and um, he just didn't get the help. And in stigmatism, he was kept telling everybody he was fine. I think that goes back to a typical male, especially somebody between 18 and 22 years old. Emerald Cameron took his life at 22. And the stigmatism is, you know, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm coping with it, I'm coping with it. But there's many triggers that people should have saw that he wasn't coping with it. And this led down to a path where he thought the right choice for him, I do believe, was to take his life and remove the burden from everybody's life. And so that's kind of a snapshot of where Cameron and what happened with Cameron. I will, well, thank you for sharing that. I, I want to offer uh, a couple of thoughts. Uh, number one, as we, our condolences, uh, continued condolences and, and thankful for uh, his service and, and, and it sounds like the many sacrifices that he made because of his service. Uh, and it's unfortunate that the, the VA let him down and we work every day to try to get, get these kind of stories to the VA. Uh, Ashley works for the VA. Um, so we try to get these things because it's the largest healthcare organization. I don't know if it's in the country or in existence, but um, sometimes they need to hear these stories to understand how to get better. So um, we're committed to that. And then the second thing I wanted to point out is um, we have these conversations with service people who, who they have survivors remorse or guilt and uh i would i would say that you should consider not being so tough on yourself calling yourself a failed father um and i i get the inclination because a, a parent a parent's role in a life is to protect and um but we don't always we can't we're not superheroes unfortunately um and that and uh I, I, I dare say, especially considering the topic that we're talking about today, that uh, you uh, probably don't bear the burden that you think you do for this outcome. Uh, and I, I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm, just, I'm hopeful that maybe you'll consider uh, that perspective. Um, so with that, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take it. I'm going to send it back to uh, to Ashley, and and I think her question kind of goes to other aspects that go into these things. If I if I could, before I ask my question, um, I had went ahead and I read Cameron's story that's on the Concussion Legacy Foundation, um, the story that you wrote, Daryl, and um, about halfway through, there's a just a, a quick passage I think that will be. I just want to read that's, I think, very important for, for everyone out there who has, who has lost someone, who has contemplated, who has all of the above. Um, but it goes, I learned that there is no single foolproof path towards healing. While some need to talk, others desperately require the comfort of silence. While some seek solitude, others feel safe in a sea of strangers. 
While some need to saturate themselves with memories, others need distance and time before thinking about the one they lost. No way is right or wrong. And I learned that yes, there is a lesson to be learned at the end of every life, regardless of how that life was lost. That when the pain becomes a second skin and the longing becomes commonplace, you will be changed in a way that is both hurtful and helpful. Despite efforts to keep to, to get him help, he slipped through our grasp. It is now that I must come to terms with the most brutal outcome for a parent. We could not save him. I just want to tell you that when I read this, I, I cried the first time. <laughs> like I'm, I'm definitely, I'm very emotional. And um, I thought this was not only beautifully written, but a beautiful continuation of your son's life and the role in which now he is facilitating both the Concussion Legacy Foundation. So I wanted to just share that with, with our listeners, with our viewers, um, not only that there's a, there's a lot of catharticism that comes with, with writing and journaling too. And I'd just be remiss if I, I didn't share that with the world because it was beautiful. Thank um, you. Of course. So moving forward into question, Chris, I'm going to kind of lean a little bit back on you now that we've heard um, Cameron's story and what does the research show about the link between CTE and suicide? So we are trying to figure out everything we can about CT as fast as we can. So it's, it's important to start the conversation with, you know, we, we didn't know much about CTE 15 years ago when we started the organization. At that point, you know, it was called punch drunk for 100 years. Uh, people knew boxers, you know, change from too many hits to the head and have problems with thinking and behavior and movement and all these things. And we just didn't start thinking about the other sports and what they cause. And so when we started the foundation, we were looking for the best partners in the world, trying to figure out how do we advance research on CT? Because at that point, there were no research centers looking at it. And it was, there were only 42 cases ever known in the world. And so we, we found uh, the Boston University CT Center and the uh, VA Boston Healthcare System uh, where and basically we invested in Dr. Ann McKee, who was uh, working at both, and she's one of the world's top neuropathologists and really has changed our understanding of CTE. And so CTE is a neurodegenerative disease caused by repetitive head impacts. Uh, essentially, it's almost, it's almost always in sports, but we also are now seeing it in veterans who didn't play contact sports um, from uh, blast injuries and, and other head impacts that can happen in service. And so what we're learning is that the more hits to the head you take and the more years you're exposed to it, the greater your risk of having it. It starts in usually your teens or 20s when you're, most of us are actively getting hit in the head. It starts with small lesions on the brain in certain areas vulnerable to trauma from physics. And then it spreads throughout the rest of your life and changes who you are. And, you, and symptoms can be uh, behavioral and depression, anxiety, and they can be impulsivity and aggression and eventually you start, uh, your brain starts functioning poorly, starting with executive functioning, planning, all those things, and eventually it's dementia. So um, we've been, the only way to diagnose CTE is through studying brains. And so uh, what we said our role is at the foundation early on was to say, look, we'll, we'll reach out to families to get brain donations in so we can figure this thing out. And, and let's try to learn as fast as we can. And then when we learn things, we help publicize that work together. And so um, 
CTE is, uh, we don't really know the link between CT and suicide. In our younger cases, it's the number one cause of death in our brain bank, but it's also a top three cause of death in that age group. So um, we think that either the changes from your life that come with the disease or the changes um, in your brain that come with the disease can, can lead to these outcomes. But we need more work on that. But what's interesting for Cameron's case is that he didn't actually have CT, but he did have white matter damage. And so white matter damage is found often in CT and found with concussions. And so we're known for our CT work, but really, when, especially when you talk in the military context, it's really a traumatic brain injury concussion issue first. And then it's also a CT issue for some who played contact sports or else, you know, been unlucky with their uh, brain trauma exposure. And so when we talk about concussions in CT, we actually have a lot more to talk about because it's been studied for a much longer time. And in countries with socialized medicine, they've shown consistently that if you go to the hospital one time for a concussion, the risk for your risk for suicide for the rest of your life is doubled and sometimes even uh, higher. And so the, the scientists think it's either for two reasons. One, the concussion changes your life, your job, your relationships uh, in the outer world. You know, for someone like me who had headaches for 15 years, you could imagine that like I became a miserable person to be around for parts of that. And it, it, it changed my, my day to day, my social life, my friendships, everything. And then there's also the if you have white matter damage in your brain, you are going to think differently. You might become more impulsive. You might become more passive. It depends on where the brain injury is. But brain injuries change you. And, and again, we, we continue to find that uh, suicide risk from a brain injury is increased. And so that's what we're trying to unpack. And so you know, part of the reason that we, um, we know Daryl is because you know, he donated Cameron's brain. And, and we now have 1,300 families who've donated the brains to their loved ones, um, and mostly athletes. And again, a lot of veterans are, were athletes before they served. And then we have about 200 who've served in the military. Um, and a few, and, and, and I think we're closing on 50 who are never contact sport athletes. So we're sort of isolating the service portion of, of their brain trauma history, but, uh, we don't have perfect answers. And so, uh, we started a program called project enlist to continue to encourage, uh, and create a culture of brain donation in the military, like we have with NFL families. So we all hear about NFL players donating their brain to research. And in fact, about more than one in four NFL families each year. Uh, when someone dies, they reach out to us to donate the brain. So we have a huge impact in that world, but we need to do the same thing for our veterans to figure out what's happening. And really the idea here is that some veterans are clearly dying by suicide, um, yeah, who have severe histories of traumatic brain injury, and, and we suspect, and the science says, that's playing a role. And so if we move upstream and try to treat the symptoms and try to you know fix their brain or even try to help them understand why they don't feel the way they used to, or they're not responding to, to life the way they used to and understand it's just an organic issue in your brain that you may recover from with time and with the right treatment, um, that we hope we can change the conversation. Uh, because, you know, it's important that we help people during crisis. But what can we do to not get people into crisis or get them to a better place as well, um, you know, through this research. So, so Chris, to, to follow on that, you know, what should alphas know about looking for signs of CTE and, and getting help, right? So you've, you've mentioned these different pathways of, of obviously the NFL star contrast to our, our military folks, and there's likely, you know, this correlation. How, how do 
folks in the American Legion community and the veteran service organization community, um, you know, know the signs, like what, what do we need to know for the signs and how can they get assistance or resources you can provide? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So um, again, there's there's two issues because again, CTE again is carrying the flag here, but more people listening right now have been exposed to the brain injuries and both have this, you know, this link with with suicide. So I, with the with the traumatic brain injuries, like you you likely know if you've had them, although there are times where, you know, you've had injuries and you don't fully appreciate how much the brain injury is. If you've been involved in a blast injury, what everybody recognizes and sees might be physical injuries. And the brain injury may not be diagnosed for months or years, right? I mean, one of, one of our advisory board members, you know, uh, was, was blown up, lost his leg, and, and he never really was fully assessed for a brain injury in the early days of the, of, of the uh, war in Iraq because it wasn't really part of the conversation or, you know, he, was, he had to be medicated for so long that the signs of the concussion could never fully appear, right? So if you've had blast exposure, if you've had car accident exposure, if you've had athlete exposure to concussions, the, the question you'd ask yourself is if you're having these problems with mood disorders, anxiety, you know, suicidal thoughts, all these things, it could, you have to understand, it could just simply be the, your brain is sort of uh, misfiring and sort of uh, tricking you into thinking things are worse than they are. And in that situation, you go get treatment for the brain injury, right? Whatever symptoms you're having, there are treatments for. You can get better, whether it's a medication, although a lot of people don't like that. There's, there's rehab. There's this, just a lot. Um, often when you have a brain injury, you have sleep disorders, which makes you feel like crap all the time. So there's a lot of things to do. And the most important thing is to say, look, I don't feel right. I, I don't like the way it's affecting my life, but I can get help. You can come to us for help at concussionfoundation.org. We have a helpline, the link's right there on the front page. And we, we are connected to uh, most of the veteran service organizations. So we're not trying to recreate the wheel, but we'll help you get there with the understanding that brain injury might lead this. And then with CTE, now we're talking about people who think they're fine and are feeling fine then have onset of symptoms um, that are new. Usually, I mean, it can start in your 20s, 30s, 40s, whatever it is, in those, in the midlife decades, we're talking about mental health issues. We're talking about depression. We're talking about anxiety. We're talking about aggression. We're talking about addiction issues, often addiction issues that aren't responding to treatment. Um, all of those things, if you've been hit in the head hundreds or thousands of times through sports or military service, CT should be on your radar that this might be the thing that's happening. And again, you can treat the symptoms, but they're easier to treat if you understand that the source is not an issue of character. It's not an issue of, of you know, who you are or you're not, you're not, you're not weak. Um, it is that your brain is slightly changing and you need to adjust with it. Uh, and it really, it, that treatment can help save relationships and save jobs. And, and, and so the most important thing is seek treatment. The other way to think about CT onset is you could be fine. None of these things would happen to you, but in your 50s, 60s, 70s, you start having problems with the way you think. You might be struggling at work. You might have problems with memory, things that are a little more than out of the, you know, you might more than like leaving your keys one, one or two times. Um, but, but bigger issues are getting away your day-to-day -day living. And in those situations, um, you know, again, getting care is really what's most important because you can both Again, medications can help, but also strategies and just an understanding um, of what's happening always makes things easier. And so again, seek treatment, whether it's the VA, but you can come to us to help find people who understand CT and can help you 
uh, potentially deal with that. But, you know, basically if you've played contact sports for more than a few years, um, or you've had a bad experience, you, you did artillery or, or breachers are at very serious risk of this, uh, other, other forms of service where you know you're getting rattled a lot, you might be at risk and, and again, you, there is help. All right. Well, thank you, Daryl. I wanna uh, go back to you. Uh, we had a question uh, from earlier. Some I got I missed it somehow. Um, can you can you uh, talk about Cameron's story in terms of his legacy and the importance of Project Enlist? Wow, um, I think Cameron's story getting out there. Um, like I've told people before, Cameron's story can just save one life. Um, his life would have really meant something and have, will have a lasting effect on another family. Um, Project Enlist is very important. There's so many of our our sons and daughters that are coming from the military side of the family that um, you know, they, you know, the statistics show that you know, 22 veterans a day are committing suicide for some reason. We don't know that. Um, and if we don't get people to enlist in Project Enlist, we're never gonna be able to find the facts and link suicides to specific mental health issue or whatever it may be. So um, just one, donating Cameron's brain and, and the credit for that goes to Cameron's sister, Kaylee, because mm -hmm. of what she does. She's the one that came to me and, and Cameron's mom and said, hey, I think this is what we should do. And so we decided to do it. So um, we, we learned something by donating Cameron's brain. Um, did we get all the answers we were looking for? No, we never will, but we did find some links that we know was a cause of his death. Uh, so I encourage anybody, you know, just like myself, you know, I'm a veteran of 36 years. Um, I, I signed up for project on a list, you know, so if something does happen to me, that's where my brain's gonna go. Um, I have a legacy. My legacy for now is to ensure Cameron's story is out there and make sure to learn from Cameron's story. And again, bottom line, if nothing else is gained, if we can just save one life, then Cameron's story will meant something. It'll have a lasting effect on my family and it'll have a lasting effect on someone else's family. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's noble and um, forward thinking and uh, I I applaud you and your family and uh, your your daughter for having that that knowledge and strength in a really rough time for you to uh, bring that up. Uh, I just want I want to make sure people know that uh, it's contact sports, but it it's it's also people don't consider soccer a contact sport, but I know because of all the head the head balls um that that Balls. they are they i know are you also... didn't play soccer <laughs> what nothing i just sorry I adore you, Jeff. um so i know that with with the, with those things uh that that other sports where your head is affected uh even baseball if you get hit too many times like as a batter if you're or anything really if there's a lot of contact with your head Please, um, please also enlist. And I think you're you're looking for healthy brains as well for comparing. Is that correct? 
Yes, that's true. You know, um, you know, we, well, we, we've never had a good understanding of people who've been hit head thousands of times. We've ne we don't really have great understanding of people who've had lots of concussions. And then we always need new, um, new control cases to compare them to. Uh, you know, what's, what's most interesting to me is that we don't, we don't have a lot of young control cases, right? So people donate the brains of young people when they see something that's wrong. Um, and so uh, that's an important area too. So if you're young uh, and you'd like to sign up, that's a, that's sort of an area of science that we need more, definitely need more of. The, if you're older too, I mean, signing up is really important because you know when you donate your brain, we actually use it to study to study research, and we continue to go back to it. And so these are sort of an evergreen. Um, resource, but also like we do share them with other centers so they can do work. So we always need more. So basically everyone, everyone, everyone yeah. should uh, sign up for, en for project enlist uh, and uh, continue the, the legacy of uh, individuals like Cameron um, and, and hopefully save someone like Cameron from, going through the struggles uh, that, that he went through. Yeah, and then part, of, part of the reason we ask everyone to sign up too is that there's two important things that happen there. What, you know, I never want any of the people who sign up to, to pass away and donate their brain. Like I hope when I meet people who sign up, I say, look, I hope we solve this problem before we ever need your brain, before this happens to you. Um, but there's, there's two things that happen. One is that when you become part of the Project Enlist family, um, it's a, re we're, you know, when you get our emails every once in a while reminding you of things that are going on, we're also enrolling people in clinical studies so we can get answers today. And we're constantly talking about the helpline not in our uh, sister program, Operation Brain Health, which is if you are concerned, if you've been hitting the head a lot, here's all these things that you can do to continue to improve your brain health because it's, uh, CT or TBI is only one variable that will influence your outcomes and a bunch you can control, include exercise, diet, sleep, all these things that we sort of minimize, but now that I'm in my middle 40s, uh, I think about those things a lot too, knowing that I have one prominent risk factor going on in my brain. Um, I'm making sure I don't add other things to it so that I can have as much brain function for as long as I can. The other thing about Project List is if you sign up, it's a great way to think, again, I don't want you to pass away, but we all lose somebody. We all lose some you know, people too often, uh, too much. If you are a brain pledge, what we find is that most of our new brain donations come in through people who, friends of those who've pledged, because you're thinking about it. You've become committed to this and you can help connect us. We're, we're again, we're very good at the NFL cases, partially because when NFL players die, it's national news. It hits the, the sports wire and everyone's talking about it. It's all over Twitter. And I have 72 hours to reach out to a family to get that brain donation. When our veterans pass away, it's not social media news right away. People sort of don't talk about it. And so we don't hear about veterans passing away, usually until the obituary comes out. By then, it's too late. And so that we sort of need to build this surveillance network. And it really, that network is through our pledges who then call us when they lose a loved one and, and help us reach out to the family. And it becomes much easier and much faster. All right. Well, thank you so much. Um, I just will we'll just leave it with that everything that we have that can uh, connect people to you, uh, Holly will will make sure that it's in the in the show notes. And I apologize, I didn't call her by her full name. Super producer Holly will uh, put those links into the show notes. And I want to 
thank you both um, for, for sharing with us and for the work that you do. Daryl, I'm confident that uh, Cameron's story is going to save more than that one life that you you said would be uh, really monumentally important to your family. Uh, so I, I think that's going to do multiples of that. And Chris, thanks for uh, thanks for making that journey from football to wrestling to neuroscience or some PhD that I can't pronounce um, and and getting this getting this work in. So thank you so much. And the alphas out there, please uh, look in the show notes and and look up Project Enlist and consider uh, donating your brain. Um, as, as much as you use it in life, it could probably be used more later to help save other people's lives. So uh, that's it. Thank you so much. And we'll be right back after the break. Selfless service. The American Legion celebrates all who contribute to something larger than themselves. And inspires others to serve and strengthen America. We are veterans strengthening America. We are the American Legion. Okay, Ashley. Um, welcome back to the Alphas, and welcome back to you, Ashley Marie Gorbulja. Uh, mm-hmm. What did what's your takeaways from uh, our guest today? Oh, um, well. Oh gosh, there's just so much. Um, I think it is incredibly important to take stock in in oneself, especially. Uh, with your, with your military service and injuries that you have, you know, whether you've acknowledged them or, you know, kind of push them back. I think it's important that, um, we, we, we look at all, all facets of our lives and see if, if any of these things have impacted, right? Like concussion, CTE, these are important topics, things that constantly get looked overlooked as we treat the physical wounds and not the invisible wounds, which is why it's so important that we continue to tie this into to be the one series. Um, hearing Daryl describe his uh, his son, uh, it's it's heart wrenching, right? Like you don't ever wish that for a parent, and to have been roped into you know the, um, the concussion or excuse me the concussion legacy foundation um, ensures that that Cameron's legacy lives on and and. For others, it's an important tool uh, for both research and science to help us, you know, as, as Chris said very eloquently, you know, you know, kind of get downstream or, you know, preventative um, treatment, right? And understanding what causes this and how we can continue to help others who have been impacted, I think is important. Um, uh, I think this was a great story to be shared with all the alphas out there. Um, you know, make sure that you check out all the show notes for all the details. And if you're interested, you know, you can donate. But if brain. you summarize the whole show, I can't get a takeaway. I know. I'm sorry. You should read. Your, your takeaway is we started first. with this, and then we went here and went here and went here and went here. And finally. This is how my brain works. Okay. Are you going don- to donate? I it? would. Yes, I would donate, donate my brain. It would be a, a marvel 
for anyone who got to just enjoy this. The marvel and... would be how do you get through the day? Uh, so what I want to say uh, uh, <laughs> to oh, the alphas clever. out there is my biggest takeaway is we're doing the be the one thing. You can be the one right now, but you can be the one even when you're no longer uh, animatedly with us. So your your brain could help save lives later. So be the one now and be the one later. Look at Project Enlist and um, consider joining their movement. That's my single most greatest takeaway for this. All right, we're back, back in the saddle about to unholster some brilliance and wit because it is now time for, wait, why did I blow on the, why did I blow on it before? I don't know, I don't know. but we're going to move question. on. We're going to go on to rapid sure fire. Pew, 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 pew. It doesn't work if you talk while I'm pew, pew, pewing. Nobody's going to hear you. Mm -hmm. what, what did you have to say? No, I was just going to say, maybe we should have you analyze. Yeah, I, I get analyzed every time I speak. Anyway, <laughs> rapid fire number one. National Guard troops tapped to help in understaffed Florida prisons. So uh, before I read this, I do have to say I made sure of the source because I got roasted on YouTube for for the the teacher story about veterans going to school because apparently task and purpose is incredible enough for some people and I should have uh, used a different source and vetted the story great more greatly. But I did find another source from the Florida government themselves and posted it in defense of us. So uh, so this one is not task and purpose. If you're out there and you're a task and purpose hater and think that if I do that, I'm not doing my job. This is from Military Times, who I hope you like. I mean, I, I don't know how to I don't know how to this get approval. Very, very targeted. Yeah, approval today. of my sources. I don't know what to do. <laughs> anyway, Florida National Guard troops were approved by the state's legislature Friday to assist even temporarily at understaffed state prisons. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis also issued an executive order Friday activating guardsmen to assist the Florida Department of Corrections in an effort to reduce overtime and provide relief for correctional officers on a temporary basis. We are preparing for that mission and are estimating a requirement of up to 300, I guess, fling at Florida National Guard guardsmen <laughs> for a period not to exceed nine months. Florida Guard spokesman Will Manley, I love that name, said in a statement to Military Times. So did you ever get the opportunity when you were in the Guard to, to, to guard prisoners. Actually, <laughs> um, fun story. I worked and volunteered actively at a women's uh, correctional facility in Ohio while I was in the guard, but in a volunteer capacity. As, a, which, as Ashley. As Ashley. So right. technically, I did do a lot of military leadership and assorted work with this specific program that I helped uh, create and foster and grow. Um, so I have some, I, so I have some say, experience in so you would say this is a good idea. So you would say this is a good idea. I'd be interested to see how this 
like, are they just, there's different roles in correction officers, right? Like some of them are like, like inside maintaining, some of them are perimeter based, some of them on rotation. It really depends on the facility, the level that the facility is at, right? Like if it's, you know, if it's a low level offense facility, it's very different from a high level offense facility, right? There's different, like there's different protocols, right? So there has to be a train up. I imagine that they're not just throwing people into this without proper training and understanding the policies for those individual correction and rehabilitation facilities. So little did you know that I actually have experience in this and oh, fun I, fact, I, fun fact. I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect a, a shorter answer if you had no experience. I know 2015, <laughs> I was a volunteer of the year for the how department corrections and rehabilitation. And I actually got oh. coined by my ATAG at the time, uh, General Bartman. Uh, for my work on that program and um, okay, helping these women. Do you think this is a good idea? I think that it. I think we're getting a maybe. Can be of use. I think it, we're getting it. Can be useful maybe. if it's done properly. Okay, we're getting a maybe. I <laughs> getting a hard maybe right now. <laughs> it's like it's like trying to interview a politician. I'm doing really good. I'm practicing. So, what do you think of this? Well, I have experience. Well, I have experience. All of um, wow. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna rapid we're gonna rapidly escape this one and move on to <laughs> rapid fire number two. Ooh, a carrot escaped. Uh, former man. <laughs> oh, next level former... bud. Huh? Next what? level bud. Uh, former managers at military housing contractor sentenced in fraud scheme. This is. Military.com is my source, uh, if people approve. Two former managers at one of the military's largest private housing contractors have been sentenced to two years probation after pleading guilty to helping the company they work for uh, defraud the Air Force <gasps> out of millions of dollars. I expect more of this from the Marines. Like the Air Force got defrauded. Anyway, stay the money. Huh? It's yeah, barely money to them out of their budget. Stacy Cabrera, who managed Bellflower BD Communities Owned Housing at Lackland Air Force Base, Texas, and Rick Cunefare, Cunefare, C-U-N-E-F-A-R-E, who is uh, a regional manager at Bellflower BD, were both sentenced Thursday in U.S. District Court for Washington, D.C., according to court records. Ugh, I'm about to get mad. In addition to his probation... Kunafir was also slapped with a $5,000 fine. Both Cabrera and Kunafare pleaded guilty in 2021 to charges stemming from a scheme in which Belfar Beatty was accused of manipulating maintenance records to obtain performance bonuses from the military while covering up unsafe housing conditions from 2013 to 2019. Not written is this, to repeat, in addition to probation, that means not jail, was also slapped with a $5,000 fine. What? The flying fish sticks? Right? Imagine if, if a service member who lived in that house had, 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 had uh, turned in a fraudulent maintenance request do you think they would get 
probation and five thousand dollar fine. They'd get falsifying government documents, which they did. Probably booted out. I imagine these people are continuing to work for the government. Likely, they probably are have found other jobs by now. I mean, Lord. I am like. I'm rapidly devolving fire here. This is, <laughs> I don't even, I know we've covered stories like this before of bases with, with bad housing. Yeah, it's just, when you, when you read covering up unsafe housing conditions, 2013 and 2019, I mean, those are, those are military families impacted by greed and this is exactly why we have these at-large situations and then people being absolutely just devastated when they show up to their new PCS location and they're like, oh, this is drastically different from my last place I lived. And now, oh, now I can't get, you know, mold or insects or, you know, pests or whatever removed or a new door, like just random things that improve the quality of life of our military families. And this person, these people, I mean, just $5,000 fine, got to probation. I mean, gosh, it's like, I, it's like when celebrities go to jail, it's like, <laughs> you're like, why? Why, are there, why is there all this special treatment? Cause you're right. If it were, if the, if the shoe or, if, or the coin were flipped, it would be different. Well, celebrities is completely different because I hope to be one and I want to benefit from that privilege. But here, I, if you if you take probation, number one, and you add in $5,000 fine, I ain't no lawyer, I ain't no judge, not even a, I'm not even someone who takes their tickets to traffic court. Actually, I do. But this sounds like a misdemeanor. They've turned it into a misdemeanor. And this person will probably still actually literally be eligible to continue work for the government. And I don't like it. I don't like it at all. You don't like it? I don't like it. No. I don't like it. I think. I don't like it. And if I meet Cabrera and Kunafar at a, at a cocktail party, I will let them know. I will say, lovely to meet you wish you weren't here you were in prison that's what i would say at my <laughs> dinner party because they did it's not just no, even i don't disagree with you jeff i'm i'm wholeheartedly like i'm perplexed right now i am and comically it, perplexed perplexed excuse me at the leniency i mean these people impacted I mean, do you have any idea how many people like move and rotate through through PCS season to different homes, their houses? I think that's oh, yeah. crazy to me. And I think you could get, <clears throat> I might be wrong. You could get more punishment for a speeding ticket sure. if, they, if they said you were going too fast and called it reckless driving. You could get more for that than defrauding the Air Force out of let me make sure I get my quote right. Millions of dollars, millions of dollars. So I, I I'm just, I, I can't anymore with this. Do you have any more to, do you have any more to say on this? Cause I'm just, I got, I got nothing more other than this is wild. And, uh, 
I'm awestruck. I'm, I'm awestruck. I'm perplexed. I, and I will um, say, I do want to point out, and not that I was nudged by super producer Holly or anything, but I would like to point out that while my initial Marine Corps knee reaction was to go on full on attack for someone who dared to question my integrity on YouTube, that at least they are watching, at least they are engaging, and we should appreciate them for that, even if I don't always appreciate what they say. So with that, <laughs> I'm just take like a tactical pause to laugh for a moment. Cause wow, you're just so extra. We just, love all our alphas. I personally love whoever this individual alpha is. It's just great. It's just you love it because you know they got under my skin. So you I appreciate it. I know. That. That's why I love it. Keep them keep it up. Yeah, yeah. All right. So that's it. I can't, I can't anymore with people frauding the government out of millions of dollars getting probation and five thousand dollar fines. I'm done. So <laughs> cakewalk. Please send us, please send us home before my head explodes. <laughs> Deep breaths. Usfaba, Usfaba. So today's topics were important, but they were also heavy. So I think it's important that we all take a deep breath and find time to do that often and frequently and reflect. Now, if you are a veteran in crisis or a loved one who is concerned about someone, remember that you are not alone. The Veterans Crisis Line is here for you. Dial 988, press one. It's that easy. Dial 988, press one. Can you one more time? Dial 988, press one. Got it. Be the one. Buddy checks. Let's make it happen. So what, what else should we do? Ah, so what else should we do? <laughs> now that you're level-headed and you're not. Yeah, I'm calm now. I'm calm. I'm calm. Good. Yeah. Did some goose fob, some breathing. $5,000 in probation. Okay. All right. You so whiskey tango to all of our alphas out there and who are our best word of mouth promoters, please encourage others. And if you are not already yourself, please subscribe to the Tangle Alpha Lima podcast on YouTube, Apple podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you are consuming your podcasts. Please leave us a review and give us a big old five-star rating and remind us just how much we love Jeff and all of his folly. I digress. So that way the world knows how much you love us both or me, whichever, both are acceptable. I will, I will allow all of those things. Thank you. <laughs> so don't be, Wait, you're not going to read, you're not going to read the joke she stole from me and gave to you. No, I'm, I'm getting there. Oh my gosh. I'm offended. Oh, don't be stingy. Tell everyone, you know, about the Tango Alpha, about Tango Alpha Lima podcast. It's no fun being the only alpha on the block. <laughs> We need all the alphabets in our soup. Soup. This may be the corniest thing I've ever. Uh, first of all, I originated it's a really, really corny things. I originated so both of those jokes, and I love them. All the alphabets. Okay. All the alphabets. Right. So alphas out there, you've heard that you were the alphabets of our alphabets of our soup, and actually, it's cereal. But this, which is basically a cold soup, I guess. You are the alphabets of our nutritious cereal, and I need you to spread the recommended Jeff Daily allowance of awesome across oh! your, your block and get everyone here to sign up for Tango Alpha Lima. And don't forget Project Enlist as well. And with that, soup for I'm, you. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm scrolling up. With that, I'm gonna declare season three, episode one, two, six. Mission.
complete.